KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power, welcoming the renowned Jack Quartet to San Diego for an evening of music titled Modern Medieval with works by Caroline Shaw, Morton Feldman, and more. Monday, May 6th at The Loft at UC San Diego, artpower.ucsd.edu. Governor Newsom says school districts have prepared for at-home classes. And we are now just beginning this journey together uh, on a more robust approach to distance learning in this state. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. This is KPBS Midday Edition. A hot weekend in the forecast for San Diego and more of the same coming up. This particular heat wave now and potentially more heat waves in September are gonna linger. And looking for an antidote to pandemic fatigue? San Diego author T. Jefferson Parker is out with a new thriller. Stay with us for Midday Edition, coming up next. KPBS On Demand is supported by Sally Ride Science, presenting Women in Leadership, Featuring panelists Ina Garten, Michelle Hanabusa, and Margot Lee Shetterly, sharing their stories and discussing ways women can lead a better future. May 23rd on campus. Tickets at sallyridescience.edu. In his COVID-19 update today, Governor Gavin Newsom focused on the start of the school year. The governor says he is anticipating that over 90% of students in the state are likely to start the school year with distance learning. He acknowledged the challenges that face students, parents, and school districts because of that. Uh, This has to be a much more interactive process where we wanna bring our students into the screen truly engaged peer-to-peer, not just with the interaction uh, of a teacher. And so we want a more dynamic engagement uh, to the extent possible. Newsom says the state is working with districts to try to bridge the digital divide and address the needs of special ed students. However, Governor Newsom reiterated that the long-term goal of the state is to return students to in-person school classes as soon as it is safely possible. Turning from schools to health care, for the last five months of the COVID-19 pandemic, the courage and professionalism of doctors, nurses, and hospital staff have turned them into heroes in the eyes of many Americans. But they are actually still human, and they're exhausted. KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg has been talking to some healthcare workers who are opening up about their mental health. After many consecutive months working in the ICU, Dinora Chinchilla was toast. All I saw was COVID, COVID, COVID. I felt like every day was on repeat. She treats patients in L.A. County. It's the hardest hit county in the state, with hundreds of thousands of cases and thousands of deaths. When Chinchilla looked around, nearly all of her patients were connected to a ventilator to breathe. Most were older, overweight, diabetic and Latino. Seeing how disproportionately COVID has affected the Latino population and being able to be that person for them now is what I always wanted. As a child growing up in East LA, Chinchia dreamed of treating low-income families like hers. But that comes with a big burden. It is just it was just so emotional. I I can't say that I didn't cry often. And the heartache didn't end at work. When Chinchia got home, her two young children ran towards her. 
but she had to run in the opposite direction. How sad is that? Not being able to hug your child when she's so happy that you're home because you've been gone for 14 hours. Chinchia didn't embrace her kids until she scrubbed herself raw in a scalding shower. She's finally taking a month off to reconnect with them. But at the same time, I feel that duty of like, this is my specialty. This is what I signed up for. I have to be there. Victor Cisneros can relate. He's an ER doc in Orange County, another hotspot. His hospital is running out of beds for patients, many from families just like his. I grew up very underserved. I come from a very humble family, and I'm the first physician, the first person to graduate like college. He's originally from Mexico, but now most of his family lives in L.A. Social distancing has made it hard to feel close to each other. We're very lovey-dovey, hugging, kissing the cheek is a normal thing when you, you know, say goodbye or say hi, you know, and it's like, it was hard. And even harder because Cisneros lives alone. You just feel trapped, right? Because you're in the ER for 10 hours, which are intense, exhausting. It smells. People are vomiting. There's blood. So we used to look forward to coming home. And now you're like, I'm in a couch in front of a screen by myself. It's like almost like you're in jail. Many of his friends don't want to hang out knowing he's around sick people all day. And like this, I don't know how sustainable this can be. I, I know for a fact, maybe physicians that are already burnt out, this is probably the tipping edge for them. You know, doctors aren't the biggest help seekers. Suffering is kind of part of the profession to some degree, but people shouldn't be suffering. That's Deborah Marin. She's a psychiatrist in New York City. She directs a brand new program designed to address issues like depression, anxiety, or post-traumatic stress disorder, all of which are up right now in healthcare workers. The idea is to shore up people's resilience and be supportive of them. They need to feel like they're not in this alone. There's a hotline, a wellness app, and workshops designed to help connect nurses and doctors. It's providing a model for hospitals in California. Marin says the most important step is to ask for help from a supervisor, a friend, a therapist. It's not bad advice for all of us. And that was KQED's science reporter, Leslie McClurg. San Diego is in for a heat wave this weekend and well into next week. And while hot weather in August is nothing new for the region, the COVID-19 pandemic complicates and in some cases prohibits some of the usual ways San Diegans get to beat the heat. And triple-digit inland temperatures also raise concerns about fire dangers, which is also complicated by COVID concerns. Joining me is Alex Tardy, meteorologist with the National Weather Service. Alex, welcome back. Thank you for having me on. What is the forecast for the next few days? How hot will it get? So the forecast is for the heat we saw yesterday on Thursday to continue all the way through next week. And in fact, even higher temperatures, especially for our inland valleys, for our mountains and our deserts. So one of the differences with this heat wave compared to some of the smaller heat waves we've seen so far this year is that our coastal areas are going to warm up but also our inland areas are gonna see extended heat. So possibly even seven days or a week of unusually warm temperatures. Now there are some fires burning up in Los Angeles County, notably the Lake Fire burning up in LA's Angeles National Forest. Does that mean though that we won't be at critical risk for a fire? 
Yeah, so that's a good question. Uh, we've already seen a lot of small fires, even in San Diego County this summer, which is not unusual. Um, but what is unusual is this summer, we haven't seen any monsoon thunderstorm activity in our mountains. And the what that does is it really makes things worse than they might normally be. So our fire threat is above average. So we have an elevated fire threat. And every time we see these heat waves like this that go on and on, uh, it is common. And this is what we expect over the next week or so that we will see some fires. So fire danger is elevated. It's not like what we see in the fall time, but it is elevated. And the fire you mentioned uh, burned really hot and fast. We saw another one up in Cherry Valley, uh, Riverside County that burned hot and fast, the apple fire. So we need to be very careful uh, and treat this in a situation that uh, wildfires will spread quickly if they start. Now, usually during a hot weekend like this, we would see crowds of people at San Diego beaches, but that's not something public health officials are encouraging this time around. So how does the National Weather Service advise people to keep cool during hot weather? Yeah, so a, a lot of us take it for granted, but obviously air conditioning is our number one source. If you don't have air conditioning or don't have access to it throughout the day or even during the nighttime, the county and the 211 Information Center provides cooling centers. So we, we definitely advise those who don't have access to air conditioning, whether it be just for the peak of the day or at all, to contact 211 Information Center and see if there's a cooling center nearby. Normally, you also could go to the mall. You could go to a restaurant. Um, and those options just are not there because of the pandemic going on. So the next best thing, you know, would be like you mentioned, the beach. If you're able to get down to the beach, our water temperatures are still relatively cool in the upper 60s. So it is refreshing, but that's just a temporary relief. So cooling centers are really the main source uh, for someone that really needs a break from the heat. And looking into the next few weeks, Alex, if you would, as summer comes to a close, what's the long range forecast? Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have any good news in that regard. So, so far this year, our coastal communities, San Diego, Carlsbad, Oceanside, Del Mar, have been spared by a lot of these heat waves. And it's, it's mainly been felt over our inland areas, especially our deserts like Borrego Springs. Uh, they're seeing uh, a really warm summer, warmer than it should be. But our outlook indicates that this particular heat wave now and potentially more heat waves in September are gonna linger. And so once we get through this first heat wave, which will last you know, through next week, it does look like on the horizon in, in late August or perhaps in early September that we're gonna have to deal with more heat waves and not just in the deserts, but also over our coastal areas and our valley areas. So it looks like above normal temperatures might stick around for a while as we go into the late summer or early fall. Okay, so we're all gonna have to try to stay cool then. <laughs> I've been speaking with Alex Tardy, meteorologist with the National Weather Service. Alex, thank you so much. Yes, try to stay cool, thank you. KPBS On Demand is supported by Sally Ride Science, presenting Women in Leadership, 
featuring panelists Ina Garten, Michelle Hanabusa, and Margot Lee Shetterly, sharing their stories and discussing ways women can lead a better future. May 23rd on campus. Tickets at sallyridescience.edu. We're in the dog days of summer with most activities still closed down, looking at an uncertain future. And it's left many of us searching for diversions. There couldn't be a better time for one of San Diego's best-known writers to come out with his latest thriller. T. Jefferson Parker's new novel, Then She Vanished, weaves San Diego headlines and characters that we almost recognize into an alternate universe of suspense. And once again, Parker's pensive, professional, private eye, Roland Ford, has to sort out all the answers except for himself. T. Jefferson Parker is a New York Times bestselling author and a three-time Edgar Award winner. And Jeff Parker, welcome back. Oh, nice to be here, Maureen. Now, Roland Ford finds himself mixed up with a politician, a kidnapping, and a lot of chaos this time around. What can you tell us about the plot? <laughs> yeah, a lot happens in this book. Uh, like like all good thrillers and, and most of my books, there's a lot of uh, a lot of suspense and a lot of surprise. You know, in, in the opening scene of the book, Roland is uh, hired by a California state assemblyman whose wife has gone missing, and this man hires Roland to to find her. He's a PI, specializes in missing persons. From that kind of humble, conventional PI novel beginning, the story kind of spins out of control very quickly, and uh, we Roland finds himself. Uh, way deep over his head as as you almost expect him to do. Now, a certain East County political scandal seems to have inspired some of the plot for Then She Vanished. Let's see, we have a politician who fought as a Marine in Iraq, finding himself in a campaign finance scandal. Hmm. <laughs> how do you gauge how much you can make your characters identifiable and how much you need to fictionalize? You know, it's always a fine line. I, I generally don't base characters on any one real person. Um, uh, I, I create I create kind of composite sketches of, of people from various uh, people that I know or I've seen on TV or met or interviewed or something. And uh, in, in this case, you know, Dalton Strait is a, you know, East County politician, kind of a hard scrabble guy. Um, and and I, I composed him out of various uh, political families and politicians that I've seen and known operating in this in this area for for decades you know there's no there, there there's no uh, uh, scarcity of quote unquote uh, you know corrupt politicians to choose from so so Dalton Strait is kind of a composite sketch of uh, some people that you may recognize and some people that you won't. Now, just like the previous three novels in the Roland Ford series, the action takes place all over San Diego County. What locations did you explore for this book? Well, Borrego, you know, Borrego Springs, I go down there fairly often just as a as tourist, you know, to see the beautiful, you know, the wildflowers and hike the trails and experience the desert. So I, I put that in there, you know. Um, I've got a I, I've got a big focus in, in this book on the East County, out towards and into Imperial County. Um, I'm kind of fascinated by that rough, uh, hard scrabble place, you know, the the rocks and the hills and the mountains and the the heat and the agriculture and the whole you know world out there is so different than what you think of when you think of San Diego and when you read about San Diego paper 
on TV or in the movies or whatever, you know, it's always the sun and the surfers and the, and the beautiful city and America's finest and, and all that good stuff. And I've written about that plenty, but I wanted to explore the kind of the, the you know, the, the back country a little bit, the East County and Imperial County. And uh, I had a lot of fun doing that. I hope my enthusiasm for the, for that hard uh, desert place comes through because I think it's fascinating to just to be out there and experience that. One thing that this novel captures that really speaks to our current situation is the sense of society at a breaking point. Is that what you were thinking about while you were writing the book? Because you wrote it before the COVID pandemic, right? I did. And that that exactly is what I was thinking about when I went to write this book, Maureen. Say it was two years ago when I began it. At that time, I, I, I felt the divisiveness in the country had reached almost a fever pitch. Um, there was so much violence in the air. Uh, the Las Vegas, you know, the casino shooting and the, the nightclub in Thousand Oaks and just one after another. And it dawned on me that, you know, the schools and the synagogues and the churches and the casinos and the nightclubs, nothing's nothing's safe anymore, you know, and that really kind of got to me. And I just felt this kind of free spirited, free, free landing, free loading, you know, violence in the air. And it really kind of bothered me. And I tried to put some of that into the book and capture these these divisive and uh sort of chaotic times and and that was that was before covid but i but i had enough foresight to to set the book in an election year because i realized that we would be right here right now uh my readers would be you know looking towards november and probably you know arguably one of the most important uh presidential elections that we've ever had in this in this country and so the book is trying to address politics violence divisiveness and also be a good entertaining read (laughs) Wow, that's a, a large agenda. <laughs> yeah. Now, the book, your new book, Then She Vanished, has just been released, and you would normally be going on a book tour. What are you doing instead? You know something? I'm staying in my little home office here, and I'm writing a lot. I've written more pages, more good pages, in the past six months since the lockdown than I've ever written in my life. Um, so I, I'm one of the very fortunate who are uh, able to work at home. And I'm also fortunate because at the time that the lockdown came to, to us here in Fallbrook in, in March, I had just begun a book for next year, not a Roland Ford story at all, and nothing to do with, with, with COVID at all, but a, a 1968 Laguna Beach story, a, a coming of age story about a boy looking for his older sister who has lost herself in the counterculture uh, world of, of 1968 protests and drugs and hippies in, in, in Laguna Beach, California. So I, I'm not only working a lot and writing a lot, but I'm, I've transported myself imaginatively to a world without COVID. And it's, it, it's kind of my way of, of avoiding it in, in a way. Everybody has their own way of coping, I think, through this. Yeah. So this is a remote book tour for you. You can't be there in person. How are you connecting with your readers and getting feedback on your new book? It's really strange. It's really different. Uh, I'm doing a lot of uh, uh, Zoom video uh, conferences, I guess you call it, with with readers, um, kind of uh, open forums, you know. And, and, and I'm hearing just, I'm beginning to hear their reactions to the book. But it, 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 but it is different, and it is strange, and I'm not getting that immediate, you know, sort of bookstore feedback that you that you get when you're an author sitting at your little table and signing books, and people are, you know, remarking on you know, the, the work and what, what they think about it. So that's, that's all gone. And right now it's these kind of, kind of strange 
um, Zoom meetings with a bunch of faces on the screen at the same time, and and you're kind of answering questions and, and trying to get a feel for how the book is 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 making people react. It's it's very different. I've been speaking with author T. Jefferson Parker. His new book is called Then She Vanished. He'll be speaking with readers about his new book in a Zoom call tonight, sponsored by Laguna Beach Books. That event starts at 5 p.m. Jeff Parker, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, Maureen. You take care. KPBS On Demand is supported by Sally Ride Science, presenting Women in Leadership, featuring panelists Ina Garten, Michelle Hanabusa, and Margot Lee Shetterly, sharing their stories and discussing ways women can lead a better future. May 23rd on campus. Tickets at sallyridescience.edu.